So Trey, this is very important. What do you want to say to the people? I don't want to play my game, okay? I want my There. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> What's the code to your iPad again? <laughs> <laughs> Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show, the number one news show according to me. Hit that like button, subscribe, all the good stuff to feed the algorithm gods, and let's just jump into it. First up today, let's talk about some entertainment slash content creator news. First here, we had Twitch and gambling in the news, right? We, we talked about in the past, Ethan Klein's been calling out creators for streaming gambling content on their platform. With Ethan from the H3 Podcast, like others, thinking that it's dangerous to promote gambling to potentially young audiences, with people like Pokimane also saying that it's sketchy, but also a lot of people have been very successful with their gambling content, including the likes of Aiden Ross and Trainwrecks, as well as XQC, who previously did gambling streams but no longer does, with some of them being very vocal, spoken out in defense of those kinds of streams as well. And while that essentially played out in the court of public opinion, it also looks like Twitch is now drawing a line. Now posting an update saying, to prevent harm and scams created by questionable gambling services that sponsor content on Twitch, we will prohibit sharing links and or referral codes to sites that offer slots, roulette, or dice games. But also adding they're going to continue to monitor the gambling-related content and update their approach as needed. And adding that this ban will be effective August 17th, giving creators a week to remove that kind of content. And here's the thing, their reactions, people happy, people angry, but uh, there, there still is an issue for those that are even happy to see this. Right? Because this ban does lessen the incentive to do gambling streams, by no means does it mean that it's the end of them on the platform. Uh, with people like Asmin Gold tweeting, which is new rules for gambling, don't do anything other than pay lip service to concern while still profiting. No age gate can link to Twitter slash Linktree, just like OnlyFans girls do for affiliate codes, can still do sponsored streams and stream gambling content. Right, and if you're someone that's been sponsored by these platforms, you've had the incentive of like, okay, this is how much we make when people sign up. From a pure business standpoint, all these content creators have to do is now renegotiate a better flat rate deal. Right, to, to use made up numbers, because I've heard the, the actual numbers are much bigger. Let's say you normally get paid $100,000 to do a stream, and then based off your referral code, you get an additional 50,000, another 100,000. Right, depending on how you've recently been performing, that could easily be negotiated into a flat rate. But also in other news, and it's probably gonna take his focus away from this, we have Ethan Klein in the news. And that is because the H3 podcast is actually at risk of getting banned off of YouTube. For the H3 podcast, tweeting yesterday. We're very sad to announce we can't post on YouTube for seven days. With it being said that his channel's been hit with two strikes, which yes, in the, the now it, it limits what he can do with the channel, but also that puts him one away from everything going kablooey. Also, I think that's the first time I've ever said the word kablooey. Now, with that, there's also a big drama aspect to this story between he and another creator by the name of Keemstar. I'm not gonna really dive into that aspect of the story. It involves a lot of finger pointing, people calling each other snitches. But, you know, at the end of the day, in general, I think this is gonna be an interesting thing to watch, especially as YouTube cracks down on different places and there's constantly the criticism that they don't do it equally. But also I think it's just yet another story, whether you're a small or a big creator, it's so incredibly important to diversify. I mean, it's part of the reason why we've started spreading parts of the show on Snapchat. We're getting crazy numbers over there. Uh, TikTok as well, exclusive content. Uh, Facebook stuff's coming back relatively soon. Hell, we've got the newsletter going strong for our apparel company. We've got like 200,000 people on a mailing list. Do not marry or ever rely on any one platform because they do not care about you. Like I'm sure, yeah. 
yeah, they appreciate us, but the moment that you could negatively impact the company or even inconvenience them, obviously they would, they would throw you to the side. Then, in big and fantastic news, if you're a supporter and you love legalized marijuana, because if it is legal where you live, it is now easier to get. Right, so in case you're not aware, Apple previously banned apps that encourage, quote, the consumption of tobacco and vape products, illegal drugs, or excessive amounts of alcohol, as well as those that facilitated the sale of controlled substances, marijuana, or tobacco. But it actually changed its policy on June 7th to make exceptions for licensed pharmacies as well as licensed or otherwise illegal cannabis dispensaries. And so among the things we've seen, a month later we saw Apple approve the Ease app, the first cannabis delivery app on the App Store. Since then, several other delivery services have joined. And finally, on Wednesday, we saw Weed Maps, which is essentially like the grub hub for weed, updating its app to allow customers to purchase directly from local dispensaries through its platform. Right, so this is big, big news. Weed Maps CTO praising this, calling this a game changer. But also of note, this is not a universal change. Like Google, on the other hand, still bans apps that facilitate weed sales. But now that we've seen this shift from Apple, you have to wonder, is it more of like a, a domino effect? Will we see others soon follow? Also, when we're talking about app stores, we should definitely talk about now a bipartisan group of senators introducing a bill that would essentially ban app stores like Apple's and Google's from requiring in-app commission fees on sales. And this is potentially huge. For the past year, both companies have been embroiled in a series of lawsuits by Fortnite developer Epic Games for charging a 30% commission fee on all in-app sales. Or you have Epic saying that these fees are essentially highway robbery since Apple and Google dominate the app store marketplace. But Apple and Google have argued that the fees are necessary to make sure that consumers are downloading secure apps. And while yes, this seems to have stirred up a change, eventually seeing Google and Apple reducing their app store fees somewhat, it was still not enough to stop 36 states from filing an antitrust lawsuit against Google last month. But now with this, we're seeing the federal government also getting involved. And that's because if passed into law, a bill unveiled by Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal yesterday would bar companies from requiring that in-app purchases go through their app stores, ensuring that those stores couldn't punish apps that offer different prices or conditions through a different app store or payment system. Notably, both Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar as well as Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn have signed onto this bill. So potentially big changes to keep an eye on. And we had Republican Representative Dan Crenshaw in the news and trending because he had the audacity to acknowledge that Donald Trump lost the election in front of Republicans and uh, who could have ever predicted that the leopard you let out at the zoo would eventually eat your face. Don't kid yourself into believing that's why we lost. It's not. It's not. You're, you're I'll wrong. Tell, I'll tell you openly. You're I'll wrong. You, and I'm not wrong. Yes, you are. Five, five I have states. plenty of proof. I have proof in Arizona, I, I, Pennsylvania, I and Georgia. You, you did the Maricopa. Yeah. How did that turn out? And guess what? It's going to turn out and it's going to flip. Okay. We're you watch. Right. We're gonna, you're going to see it firsthand. Won't. It won't. And, you're, and you've got to flip all five states to make you it. You know work. how they're stealing the elections? All right. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. It's just something, look, I'll, I'll say it openly. This is something you've got to accept. There are a lot of voters. He is yeah, right. Probably that is. I don't think Trump won. No, absolutely not. You'll see. Absolutely not. Five different states, yes. hundreds of thousands of votes. Yes. What I'll say to Dan here is like, I do and I don't feel bad for him. Like it's literally the lowest bar you could have for someone, but I commend him for not promoting election lines. But when you don't actively call out the insanity that exists in your party because you want to remain elected, you allow it to grow. And then later after you've let it grow and fester and become a bigger part of your party, you decide, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip my toe back into the real world and into sanity. Of course they're gonna bite your face off. Also quickly on this topic, a, a quick, 
Shout out to my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. You fucking hilarious, sad, dangerous joke. He hosted this so-called cyber symposium. It was gonna prove the election was rigged and stolen. And genuinely, almost all of the reporting coming out of it is like, this is just a weird fucking mess that accomplished nothing and showed nothing. Also ultimately resulting in a headline reading, Mike Lindell fled the stage at his cyber symposium. At the same time, news broke that Dominion's billion dollar defamation lawsuit against him would proceed. But from that, I wanna take a quick second to thank the fans fantastic sponsor of today's show, SeatGeek. And most of you know, I've worked with SeatGeek for a long time and I'm super excited to be working with them again. One, because they're a fantastic partner and two, because that means we're getting closer and closer to getting back to normal. I remember live events, going to sporting events, concerts, artist exhibits, festivals, stand-up comedy, and the list goes on and on. But our friends at SeatGeek have all the tickets to get you back out there whenever you're personally ready. And SeatGeek has your back by putting all the tickets from across the web in one place to make buying simple. So whether it's next week or next year, you can find any and all of the tickets that you want. Even rate each ticket from zero to 10 so you know if you're getting a good deal or not. It's as simple as green means good, red means bad. And you can get $20 off your first purchase by using code Phil at checkout. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code Phil. Click that link down below, download the app, and get started today. Then in big names popping up in the news because of something they said around COVID-19, masks, vaccinations. Yes, uh, around 48 hours ago, you had a lot of people talking about Chet Hanks. Right, that man-child whose notoriety is pretty much based around the question, wow, isn't it weird that Tom Hanks raised both Colin Hanks and Chet Hanks? That's strange. Maybe you can't raise the stupid out of someone. In an Instagram video, he came out as anti-vax and pretty much the douchiest way you could. He acted like you should get the vaccine because you care about people, and then he was like, ah, Ha, psych! But the counter to that in the new news cycle is you have Arnold Schwarzenegger's name in the headlines because of something he said about vaccinations, masks, social distancing. There is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is, is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and and responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z. When you affect other people, that is when it gets serious. It's, you have the freedom to wear no mask, but you know something? You're a schmuck for not wearing a mask because you are not supposed to protect your fellow members around you. Right, well, you may be tired, and I already definitely am tired of the fact that we're still having debates over the vaccine and like people needing to get the vaccine. This conversation is unfortunately not gonna be going away for a while. There was always a concern, we're seeing even new reports, about how long will the vaccine be effective? Because as places like Axios have noted, all the COVID vaccines continue to offer almost 100% protection against death and extremely strong protection against serious illness. But a growing body of research shows that the vaccines are losing some potency against milder infection, with Pfizer itself saying that it believes that its vaccines are losing around six percentage points of efficacy every two months. And preliminary findings from the Mayo Clinic, which yes, have not yet been peer reviewed, show that the Pfizer vaccine is preventing significantly fewer infections now than before the Delta variant with a smaller drop in Moderna's efficacy. Once again, to sandwich that section because misinformation can spread and there can be misunderstanding, the numbers still show immense overwhelming protection from death and serious illness, which is why you've likely seen headlines and we'll see more in the future about potential booster shots. And also so this is happening at a time where parents and doctors are voicing concerns about the growing number of children catching the virus. The children have largely been spared from the worst of COVID as hospitalizations and deaths among kids are very rare. But you have people noting that without a vaccine that's authorized for those under 12, they remain vulnerable. And according to the CDC, nearly 1,600 kids with COVID were hospitalized last week, marking a new seven-day record and a 27% increase from the week before. On top of that, children also accounted for roughly 15% of all newly reported cases across the nation last week, with data showing that nearly 94,000 child cases were recorded, a 31 
1% increase over the roughly 72,000 cases the week prior. And with that, we are seeing reports about children's hospitals reaching capacity. For example, Tennessee's health commissioner expects the state's children's hospitals to be full by the week's end, while Louisiana reached that point more than a week ago. And that is presenting challenges because like when infections surged among adults last year, many hospitals delayed elective procedures to make room and brought in temporary staff to help. But experts have noted that pediatric patients require specialized staff and equipment, and for them, virtually no procedure is elective. And on top of that, hospitals are also dealing with more kids who have developed mental health problems stemming from social isolation, along with others who already deferred medical care during the peak of the outbreak last year. Which is why with all of this going on, we're seeing people like the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics saying, it's really important to make sure that we are approaching authorization of the COVID vaccine for our youngest children with the same urgency that we did in adults. Also, regarding that, there are currently clinical trials happening among younger age groups, and the FDA has asked for six months of follow-up safety data instead of the two months that it asked for with adults. Which is also why some experts believe that the agency is moving unnecessarily slow because it's listening too closely to critics when they don't have the luxury of time. Which is why we saw the AAP send a letter to the FDA last week urging it to use initial trial data, saying waiting on a six-month follow-up will significantly hinder the ability to reduce the spread of the hyper-infectious COVID-19 Delta variant. But still, the U.S. Surgeon General said on Wednesday that the FDA will move quickly to evaluate data from vaccine companies once it is ready, saying that it understands what is at stake. And saying, with that, it is possible that a COVID-19 vaccine will be available for kids under the age of 12 before the end of 2021. But we are going to have to wait to see. And in the meantime, the spread among kids is expected to get worse in the coming weeks, especially as many areas go back to school. And the last thing that I'll mention with this COVID news, even though there, there's so much more, you have the FDA now expected to expand the emergency use of Pfizer and Moderna to authorize third shots for immunocompromised people. And this anticipated decision could mean that third doses will be available to those who qualify as soon as this weekend. Right, and this comes as studies have found that unlike the majority of vaccinated Americans, the shots are not as effective for some immunocompromised folks who have trouble developing antibodies. Right, and according to recent data from the CDC, while immunocompromised people make up only around 2.7% of the U.S. adult population, they represent around 44% of COVID breakthrough hospitalizations. And drawing from four small studies, the CDC found that 33% to 50% of immunosuppressed patients who did not have any detectable antibody response after their first two shots developed an antibody response after getting a third dose. Now, notably with this, some experts have argued that the immunocompromised population is too diverse to create a uniform booster recommendation, right? While some are protected by the two shots, others won't benefit from a third shot at all. Many falling in between. But still you have doctors arguing that a sweeping mandate is still preferable to having people trying to get third shots illegally, which is actually already happening. According to an internal CDC document obtained by ABC News, an estimated 1.1 million Pfizer and Moderna recipients alone have received additional shots. But yeah, uh, consider all of that your, your daily dose of poison. So yeah, a lot happening. Then, we should definitely talk about this morning, the Census Bureau released long-awaited data used to redraw congressional districts that can not only determine control of the House in the 2022 elections, but shape electoral advantages and state-level policies for the next decade. Now, among other things found, very notably, that data showed that the population growth in the last decade was driven by minorities, and that the white population has actually fallen for the first time since the count began in 1790. And while that is very significant, what I want to focus on today is specifically what happens next in this process. Right, so the data, which shows which counties, cities, and neighborhoods either gained or lost people in the 2020 census count is officially supposed to be used to ensure that each district has around the same number of people. But unfortunately, many politicians in charge of drawing the maps often use the opportunity to gerrymander the lines to combine voters in a way that helps their parties win future elections. And very notably here, as was the case after the 2010 census, Republicans will have way more power in this decade's redistricting process. According to reports, the GOP has control over redrawing maps in 20 states that make up 187 U.S. House seats, this including growing states like Texas, Florida, and North Carolina, which all gained new 
seats in this latest count. Meanwhile, Democrats only have control over the process in just eight states that account for 75 seats. States like New York and Illinois, which actually both lost seats. And rather notably, part of the reason that Democrats actually have less power is because several Democratic-led states have created independent nonpartisan commissions to draw the district lines. But regardless, not going into a deep dive specifically on that, the, the main thing is that Republicans have a strong advantage, one that could easily help them gain the mere five additional seats that they need to take control of the House in 2022. And making matters even worse for Democrats is the fact that the accuracy of the count has been hampered by the pandemic and unprecedented interference from the Trump administration. Right? In addition to heightened concerns over how historically undercounted groups were with the, the lack of door knockers during the pandemic, the Trump administration also did everything they could do to make sure that certain people weren't counted. That including trying to cut counts short before it was fully completed, attempting to prevent major populations from being counted. And so as a result, experts say, yes, we should expect tons of lawsuits, incredibly messy legal battles playing out all across the country. But because the timeline is what it is right now, the battles over redistricting, I mean, they very well may not be resolved before the midterms. I mean, hell, normally redistricting totals are delivered in April, but pandemic delays have pushed the time from and left states scrambling to set new boundaries. And so as a result, some states with early primaries are facing the possibility of changing their entire election calendars and postponing long-held primary dates. And certain states with local elections as well, like New Jersey and Virginia, are reportedly using their old maps. So I know, at least for me, it feels like I'm starting to overuse the term shit show, but if it looks like one and it smells like one, whew, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Also, I mean, here's a question. Will there be like a, a one to 3% difference in who votes for what with how many people have died from COVID-19 over the past year and a half? I mean, it, it's kind of a random side note, but like in Florida, more people have died in that state than the difference in votes that allowed Ron DeSantis to win the state's 2018 gubernatorial race. I don't know, we're gonna keep our eyes on it, but prepare for a mess. And ultimately with this story or honestly anything else stood out to you today, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below because yes, this is a news show, but it's also a conversation. But with that said, of course, as always, thanks for watching, like, and subscribing, all the good stuff. My name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you next time.